Thank you for tuning in this morning to the worship broadcast of Bowglade Alliance Church. Bowglade Alliance Church is located at 425 East Canal Street North in Bowglade uh, with live worship services every Sunday at 11 a.m. For more information, visit us online at www.bowgladealliance.org. Now let's join Pastor Kevin for this morning's message. You know, I was talking about uh, with my family, the passage I had chosen, and it's funny because whenever anybody hears that I'm going to be preaching on a Christmas passage, there are certain passages that come to mind. I mentioned this last week, you know, we tend to think about uh, the angel's announcement to Mary. We tend to think about the dream, the vision that, that Joseph had uh, upon hearing that Mary was pregnant. We, 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 hear, we, we, we tend to think about the birth of Jesus and being placed in a manger and the shepherds coming. Uh, we tend to think even later on as the Magi come, we tend to think of all these things, Jesus' presentation at the temple, the coming of the Messiah. We start thinking of all those passages, and yet the passage I chose today is another one that probably out of left field. But it is a Christmas story nonetheless, and it is the one we read together earlier, the one from the Gospel of John in the first 18 verses. And I assure you, this is in fact a Christmas passage. And so we're going to read it again together today. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to John 1, and we're going to read again those first 18 verses of John chapter 1. It will be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible in front of you. But here's what it says as John opens his gospel, as he introduces why he's writing and who he's writing about. Here's what he says, starting in John 1.1. 1, 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have, received, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is a wonderful and rich passage of Scripture 
that really does set up John's entire gospel. And I assure you, again, it is a Christmas story because it's exactly what we talked about last week, which is this. The greatest mystery of of the Christmas season, of the Christmas event, is this. Not that a special baby was born, not even one that was deemed to be king, but that God himself took on human flesh in order to serve us his creation, to acquire for us that which we could not acquire for ourselves. Redemption, forgiveness, eternal life could only be made possible by God himself becoming incarnate, taking on flesh and dying in our place. And so this great mystery is being unveiled right here by John as he's writing this gospel. And if you remember from last week, uh, Jesus did all of this for us. In fact, when we think about all the things he did, putting God on display, teaching with authority, correcting misunderstandings, but then more important than all of that, being willing to go to the cross and die in our place, taking his sins, our sins upon himself, paying them in full, and then rising again from the dead so that we could have right standing before God. All of that is made possible by the incarnation of the Son of God, which we see here in this text. And we see right from the very beginning that John is making it clear in no uncertain terms who this Jesus is that is coming into the world. He says, in the beginning, he, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you might ask at first reading, well, who is this Word? And yet in verse 14, he makes it clear The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And so if you were with us last week, you remember that even what Jesus was willing to do to humble himself, to come to this earth, take on human flesh to serve us is a model for us and one that we should embrace this Christmas season as we see how can we put others before ourselves, even perhaps lowering ourselves or making ourselves uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of others. But another important attribute, the one I want to focus on today is this, that John sets up his entire gospel with this one word that he uses over and over and over again in this passage in reference to Jesus, and that is light. In fact, you know, this is, in fact, it's seven times. If you, had, if you were counting it seven times in just those 18 verses, he uses this over and over and over again. And I just want to remind us of some of the ways in which he used this. He says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness has not understood it or overcome it. Uh, In fact, it makes it very clear that John the Baptist, who came as the forerunner of Jesus, he wasn't that light, but he had an important mission to testify to who that light was. And in fact, in verse 9, it says that Jesus, the true light, gives light to everyone by coming into the world. And so this theme of light is important, and we're going to explore that together today. One of the things you might have noticed in this text is that it begins very similar to another important passage in our scriptures. It says, in the beginning was the word. Where do we see in the beginning in our scriptures? 
We see it in the very first verse of the very first book of the Bible. And in fact, as we look at John's opening verses, he is intentionally drawing a parallel between the coming of Jesus into the world and the creation event that we read about in Genesis chapter 1. In fact, he's talking about creation, and he's showing Jesus not just being divine, but Jesus being instrumental. All things were created through him, and so he's tying Genesis 1 with John chapter 1. He is drawing an important connection. Here's just some of the things that we see in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, that echo the creation story. Again, it begins with, in the beginning. It also demonstrates God's pre-existence, that he existed before anything was created. It points back to that creation of all things, and it refers to Jesus as the Word. Why the Word? Because, in fact, when we read about Genesis 1, we see that God spoke all that came into existence into an existence. And so that Word, what was the method, what was the vehicle through which all things were created? Jesus, the Word of God as God spoke the world into existence. And interestingly, there's also a connection with this word light that we're taking a look at together today. It's interesting that Genesis 1-3 says this, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And again, our passage today highlights the introduction of light into the darkness. So what does it mean? It's interesting to observe that seven times he uses light. It's interesting to learn that light is the analogy he's using for Jesus. But what does that even mean? What is he trying to say here to us? What does it mean that Jesus is the light come into the world, the light that breaks through the darkness? What is John talking about? And again, since John harkens back to the creation account, perhaps it's, it'd be wise to take a look even at what's being done there in terms of light. We see that Back at the time of creation, God did what only God could do. He created everything out of absolutely nothing. He replaced nothingness with glorious, beautiful creation, perfect in every way, creation that mirrored who God was. He literally placed the fixtures of light in the heavens, uh, and, and his light shined throughout all of creation. And now we see John 1, and he's talking about Jesus as light, and he's connecting the dots here. But what is he talking about? See, the problem with the light is this, that we have obscured it. That from the fall of mankind, the light, the glory, the goodness that ought to be echoed throughout all of creation that points back to its creator has been muddied, has been marred by God's creation sinning, by humanity falling into sin. And so we as humanity no longer mirrored God's image the way that we were created to do. In fact, there were consequences of our sin that echoed throughout all of creation as a result of our failure. And so Jesus now comes, and John's announcing it. Jesus came to bring light back into the world, to redeem it, to make it new so that God's glory might shine as God's glory was always intended to shine throughout all of creation. And Jesus is able to do this, just as God the Father was able to do it in the beginning and Jesus there with him, because Jesus is God. In fact, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says this, 
This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. So what is John 1, 1 through 18, claiming about Jesus? God, the light, coming into the world again. Jesus, who is light, has come into the darkness in order to redeem it. But let's, let's, let's play the other side here for a moment. Let's be completely honest with one another, because I want you to be thinking people. We should all be thinking people. And here's the first thing that comes to my mind when I take a look at the intention of Jesus coming 2,000 years ago. What slaps me in the face is the reality today, one that none of us are ignorant of. So here's the reality. For being honest, Jesus came 2,000 years ago, and yet there's certainly still a whole lot of darkness in this world. Would you agree? I would certainly agree. So what's the answer? The answer, what Jesus accomplished through his death and resurrection, made it possible for people to move from darkness to light. And the church, throughout all the world and through the last 2,000 years, the church, God's people, Jesus' followers, will be the vehicle of this good news until Jesus comes again to set up a kingdom where there's no longer any darkness, but only light. And so we see that Jesus coming into the world, the light piercing the darkness, brought every single human being, all of which were living in darkness when he came, to a choice. To either remain in the darkness or to step into the light and be reconciled to God. In fact, we read this from one of our favorite passages of Scripture, one of the ones that, if I were to quiz you, 95 to 100% of us would have memorized John 3.16 and the following verses through verse 21. Here's what it says, all of it in context, 3.16 to 21. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. You know, when we read just John 3.16 and not the rest of the verses that follow it, we miss a lot here. And when we look at it in context, we see John's theme throughout his entire gospel made evident. In fact, we see the very reason why Jesus came gloriously put on display here for us to wrestle with together. And so as Jesus comes in the world, this passage does start out uh, just as we've heard it so many times. That is because God loved the world so much, which ought to be a mystery to us anyway. Raise your hand if you know somebody who has absolutely wronged you and it was hard to forgive them. Raise your hand. We've all been there, right? It should be everybody. 
right? We could picture that person right now. I'm not trying to make you angry in the church service. In fact, if you're still really burning with anger, I think we need to start talking about what it means to forgive. But yes, we've all had those experiences, right? Worse than anything that person could have done to you is where we were with God. We had set ourselves up as his enemies. We had rebelled against him. We had chosen our own way over the way of the creator who designed us and loved us. And we stood in active, intentional rebellion against God. And nonetheless, God loved us anyway. He loved us so much that he was willing to send his one and only son to die for those who were in active rebellion against him. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And then he goes on to say, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it. He didn't send, a rain, he didn't send Jesus to rain down judgment, but that people might be saved through him. But whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And it's not saying that if you reject Jesus, then you're condemned. He's making it clear that we were already condemned. And God has extended by his grace, by his love, grace that we might step out of our condemnation and instead receive a pardon for all of our sins. And we see this even more clearly than when we read those passages, when we read those subsequent verses. Because this is the way it is. All of us were in darkness. And Jesus is now shining light into the world. And everybody now has a choice. We could either, in our sin, in our vulnerability, knowing we failed, step into the light, knowing that we will receive grace, and that he might cleanse us from our sin, or we continue to hide in darkness, not wanting to face the fact that we're sinners and not wanting to come into the presence of God. We don't want our deeds exposed. You know, it's funny when you watch a good movie or television show, you know, it's light, it's light out, it's daytime, there's people walking about, and where do, you, where do you see the bad guy about to do the bad thing? Behind a corner, in a shadow, with some darkness over him, or in a cave waiting to come out and pounce on somebody, right? There's always this imagery of the bad, of the evil, hiding in darkness. And that is certainly a picture that speaks to the truth of human nature, and it certainly speaks to what's being portrayed here in the Gospels of the reality for all of humanity. We could have a choice. We could continue to live in darkness, embracing our evil and hoping that it doesn't come out into the light, or we could step into God's light and recognize the fact that we need him and we don't want to live that way anymore. We want to be forgiven and we want to be cleansed and we want to be reconciled to God and we want to have hope and life forever and ever. And that's the good news of the gospel is that Jesus offers that to us because God so loved the world. And so we've all 
faced that question. We've all had an opportunity to hear that good news and to respond or not. And if you've responded to that good news, then we also have the great privilege of being God's ambassadors to bring that news. In fact, all of creation, all of history rather, all of human history has been on this this timeline where that, that we can relate to this concept of light. I want to share this with you. Maybe you don't like it, but I thought of it and thought, oh, that's pretty clever. Not because I thought of it, because this is what we see consistently as we look from Genesis to Revelation. Here's, here's a good way to think of it in terms of this idea of light and darkness. At the creation, there was light. In fact, there was only light, right? Not only did God create uh, the lights that guide the day and the light to shine upon the earth so everything didn't just stand in darkness, but God's glory was unimpeded throughout all of creation. Everything that was created, every animal, every human being, everything was perfect. And then there was the fall, where God's light, God's glory, that was supposed to be you know, us human beings who are created in his image to image him, to mirror him, all of a sudden, we now obscured the light of God. We obscured his glory in our sinfulness. But God, in his grace, in his mercy, made promises over and over throughout human history, which we read about in the Old Testament. There's the promise of light restored again. The promise that this obscured light, that the darkness that we've brought into the world through our sin won't reign the day, but there will be redemption. Light is promised. And then there is redemption. And we read about it today in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Light piercing the darkness. That God made good on his promise, and now the light that had been promised is coming into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. And then what happens after that? Because we know there's still darkness in this world. We're now in a season of proclamation where Jesus' followers, where the church has the privilege of being able to proclaim the good news. We, like John the Baptist, testify, witness concerning the light that other people might know that it's safe to come out of the darkness because God will accept you into his light. And this is the season we will be in until the fulfillment, when light replaces darkness forever. And so all of human history is the struggle of light and darkness and what God is doing to fix the darkness that we brought into his perfect world. So it begs the question, we celebrate Christmas, the coming of Jesus 2,000 years ago, as we should, but why hasn't he come again yet? His second coming is going to be more glorious than his first. Why hasn't he come yet? Why hasn't the season of fulfillment, where light replaces the darkness forever, why hasn't it taken place yet? And Peter gives the answer in 2 Peter 3 and 9. Here's what he says. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, the truth of the matter is, we see this throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testament, not everybody will come to repentance. But what Peter is saying is that if Jesus had pulled the curtain too early, 
that there are those who would have been saved who don't have the opportunity to be saved. This gospel of the kingdom will go throughout the entire world to be proclaimed to all nations and then the end will come, Matthew 24, 14. And so God in his perfect knowledge knows when the time of fulfillment will be. And just as Jesus' first coming was at the right time, so his second coming will too. And Christmas celebrates light coming into the darkness. And the time between Jesus' first coming and second coming is to be marked by the church's proclamation of this good news. God can replace our darkness with light if we surrender ourselves to him. Now, I know that as I look around, I know every face in this room, and I know some of you a lot of your story, and some of you a little bit of your story, but I would have no doubt whatsoever that most, if not every single person in this room has made that decision, at least that initial decision, to come out of the darkness and into the light by committing themselves to the Lordship of Jesus, giving our lives to him. And that is absolutely the first and most important step. But with the disconnect, I think, for some of us in the way we live at times is that we think about that as the only step, the finish line, when in fact, that's the entrance ramp, that's the starting gate, that is where the journey begins as we walk in the light intentionally with Jesus throughout our days. And so Christians are called to continue to walk in the light. Here's just one of many passages that use this term and and talk about it in this way. Here's Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 20. It'll be up on the screen. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. He says this, For you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the world. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see that the the underlying current in this passage that Paul is, is, is exhorting the church in Ephesus is this. That yes, you used to be darkness. You're not darkness anymore. You are now the light of the world. So take that responsibility seriously. Because even as those who have come into the light, we have a choice. We can either, in our Christian lives, continue to indulge the darkness we once lived in, or we can live as children of light. And there's important reasons for us to do so. Here's just some observations from Paul's instruction here. Again, he says, you are something new, so don't live like your old self. 
In other words, you're now children of light, so don't live like children of darkness. And he says this, he says it twice, in fact. He says, find out what pleases the Lord, okay? You'd think they would just know that, right? You'd think we would just know that. But if Paul's exhorting them to, to find out what God's will is, or to find out what pleases the Lord, those are the two ways he says it here, then clearly there's work to be done on our behalf. So how do we find out what pleases the Lord? Of course, we read the scriptures, right? That one should have been the given. You're a water teacher, Sunday school leaders, parents, grandparents. I'm sure, I'm sure people in your life have told you that enough. That's the advice you give to others. Read the scriptures. Are we doing it? Are we doing it enough? Are we doing it so that we can truly discern when situations arise what pleases the Lord? And are we doing it enough that we're desirous to step out and do uh, what God would be pleased with? So we read the scriptures. We pray. We discern the leading of the Spirit. God hasn't left us as orphans, but has given us the Holy Spirit who leads us, who guides us. And believe me, if you're listening throughout your day, He's convicting you of sin. He's making known opportunities before you. He's giving you direction. We just have to have an ear to hear. How else? We avoid things that take control of our minds, our hearts, our bodies, and surrender to the leading of the Spirit. Right? He says, do not be drunk with wine. And you might think, well, I don't even drink alcohol. Well, that's great. But there are other things in life that tend to control us, that we have surrendered ourselves to. I know for me, it's funny, this is my little phone, and I can just sit there on the couch flipping to check something real quick, a sports score, a news story, what's the weather like, and holy cow, did 45 minutes really go by? What kind of nonsense am I looking at online? You know, Facebook loves to put ads in the news feed. Why? Because I'm stupid enough to sit there looking at it for 45 minutes. What's wrong with me? But there are things in life that just suck up our time, that control us when we ought to be intentional about being led by God's Spirit. Because I'll tell you, the news, the weather, Facebook, ESPN Sports, none of that is going to give you God's will for your life. But the time we intentionally listen to the Spirit will. And also we keep the Lord central in our lives, in every moment of our lives and lead into the community of God's people. You know how often God has given me clear direction, not from my quiet time in prayer at my house, but being among God's people, praying, talking, listening to the wisdom of others. And so these are just some of the ways that we can find out what God's will is, what pleases the Lord. Paul also says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. What does he mean by that? He means the days are evil and going to get worse and worse and worse until the day of the Lord, until Jesus comes back, until the end. If you thought things were going to get better, they're really not until Jesus comes back. The days are evil. And so the way we live our lives, what we consider ourselves on, clinging to the light, walking in the light, being children of light is all the more important because living in darkness dims our reflection of God's light in the world. It mars it. It obscures it. It makes it difficult for people to see God's light in us. But yet if we're walking as children of light, then conversely, they see God in and through us.
And I'd argue that this is not just external. I think a lot of Christians, myself included, get really good at putting on a face, putting on a mask, acting like we have it all together. Thank God for Jesus. Life is good. Oh, you got problems? Get Jesus. Having Jesus in your life doesn't make everything easy. Doesn't make everything perfect. It gives us hope. Doesn't make us perfect. He's working out our sanctification. He's perfecting us, right? We need to truly commit ourselves to growing in the Lord. Be intentional about walking in the light. And when we trip into fall in the darkness, get up on our knees. God, I have sinned. Would you please forgive me? And would you purify me from all unrighteousness? Because guess what? We could put on a mask and that doesn't help anything because we live in a world, perhaps especially in this time period in our history, when people can see right through the masks, right through the hypocrisy, and right through the lies that we try to promote about ourselves. But a child of God living authentically, striving to walk in the light, now that's something that'll preach to the world. The world will see right through you. Show them what it looks like to walk in the light. Show, him, show them who Jesus the light is. And let us not forget that Jesus himself commands this of us. He commands us to shine our lights before the world. You know, we live in a world that got, that's guided, our social activities are guided by these two rules, right? I'm going to say it. You could probably say it for me, right? Don't talk about two things. What are they? Poli I heard somebody say it. Politics and religion, right? Those are two things you don't talk about. Right? We live in a world where faith is largely private. You believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. I go home and I celebrate what I believe. And people, Christians even, could go through their entire lives. And people around them have no idea they're a Christian. We are not called to that kind of life, friends. In fact, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. Wait a second. The light, the true light that gives light to all mankind came into the world. Jesus is that light. And what does he say of us? You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, why do they see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven? Because you're not really the light. You reflect the light. And so we are called to walk as children of light, to allow God's light to reflect in the world, not to obscure it, not to hide it, not to put it under a bowl, but to put it on full display. And this is our high calling during the season of proclamation before Jesus comes and brings the fulfillment. We get to testify concerning the light that others might have an opportunity to step out of darkness and embrace the light and have eternal life in our Lord. The great news of Christmas is that that light has come into the world. 
Jesus has been here. It's historically documented. We see it everywhere. We could see it in the scriptures. We could see it in other writings of the time. We could see it in Jewish writings and Roman writings. Jesus actually did come. The things we study are true. It's a historical reality. He has been here. The light has come into the world. And the fact that the church exists 2,000 years later after their savior died by Roman crucifixion testifies to the fact that what he said is true and it endures because it's from God. That's the good news. The light has come into the world. And all of us have that moment, that opportunity to step out of darkness into the light by committing ourselves to the Lord and becoming children of light ourselves. But then we have the great privilege, the high calling of proclaiming it to others so that others can have an opportunity to move from darkness to light. And friends, we must continue to walk in that light for the glory of God, for our own good, and for the sake of the lost who God has called us to as we live life together on mission for the glory of Christ.